It's that time, America. Your very own nationally award-winning family radio talk show. Let's Talk America with host Shayla Thornton is set to air now. We feature the trending news stories, the timely interviews you want to hear, and the hottest music in the industry. This show truly is news talk for everyone. Let others know right now that you're tuned in to quality news talk that matters. You're listening to Let's Talk America with host Shayna Thornton. The broadcast begins now, now, now. Welcome, everyone, to Let's Talk America Radio. Of course, I am Shana. Welcome to a new episode of our award-winning podcast. We offer a news talk for real people, okay? The questions you want answered from the leading experts, advocates out there on the various topics. Well, this episode will highlight your health. It's very important. I encourage you to share this episode with family, friends, colleagues, and neighbors because it's one certainly worth your while. We're focusing on your health, talking about fiber. Okay, well, we're not going to waste any of your time. We're going to get right to it. To learn more about Let's Talk America Radio, simply visit LTARadio.com. Again, that's visit LTARadio.com. And remember, while you're tuned in, use the hashtag LTA Radio. Hashtag LTA Radio. All right, we're going to take a brief break here from one of our important sponsors. That will just be for a few seconds, and then we'll be right to our exclusive interview with the one and only Dr. John Lynn who will be discussing fibroids. Stay tuned in. Let's Talk America Radio is real talk for real people. That's you. At the Energize Store, we create positive wearables to uplift your spirits. We also provide custom merchandise for family reunions, nonprofit organizations, and small businesses. Please visit us online at www.energize.store. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Energize Store. Shop now. Welcome back, listeners of Let's Talk America Radio. Of course, on our award-winning program, we highlight the topics and issues you want to know more about and what matters more than your health, okay? And this topic is relevant to ladies and also to the gentlemen out here because you have wives, you have partners, you have moms, and you have daughters. And this is something we haven't highlighted in a while. There's so much, um, according to this next expert that we have, that continues um, to really grow, progress, and there are different options. I'm talking about fibroids and what what is available right now? We all know 30 years ago, uh, most women heard the H word of hysterectomy, and there were no other options. Well, Dr. John Lippman is with us today, and he's going to talk about those options and the safety of them and the effectiveness of it. He's got some statistics to certainly back it up. Before we start, you should know that he is a very sought-after interventional radiologist specialist based out of Atlanta Metro, and he's been practicing for over three decades. Is that right, Dr. Lippman? Yeah, I guess that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Guilty as charged. So you have a lot of experience, obviously, in uh, the medical field. Talk to me. Fibroids one-on-one, okay? I want us to start from the basic and work our way up. Um, When people hear fibroids, often they say, well, it's a tumor. I mean, that can be a scary word for a lot of women or family units. What are fibroids? Fibroids are benign, non-cancerous tumors. So while they hear the word tumor, Uh, These are benign tumors. They're not cancerous. They don't turn into cancer, and they're very common. They're the most common pelvic tumor seen in women, Um, and as many as 80% of African-American women have these benign tumors. 
Um, it's the most common reason why women get hysterectomy, and you, that may sound odd. It certainly has sounded odd to me, um, because why are we doing all these hysterectomies for benign disease? But it's the number one reason by far women get hysterectomies. And hysterectomy is the second most common surgery done in the United States, which is kind of staggering because half the population and half the people on this conversation aren't even eligible for hysterectomy. They don't have a uterus. They're men. Wow. Yeah, so you told us what they are, but what sort of problems can they cause? For someone listening and saying, hey, I'm not very familiar with fibroids. I heard my yeah. aunt has them, but I don't know what that means. Well, fibroids are very hard and firm. They're made up of fibrous tissue and smooth muscle. And so this hard, firm tumor can press on things. And, and that's really what determines, um, you know, what symptoms they have. So depending on their location in the uterus, and there are three main locations. There are fibroids that are right underneath the lining of the uterus. They're okay. called submucosal fibroids, and those are the ones that cause the heavy bleeding. It's, and fibroids are the number one cause of heavy bleeding in women. We can talk about that in a minute. Um, the ones that are located underneath the outer covering, that's the second location, they're called subserosal fibroids, and those fibroids press on things because they grow outwardly from the uterus, so they press on whatever's next to them. Um, they can press on pelvic nerves to cause pain. They can get, uh, cause sciatica, just like you know, in, a, in a lumbar disc. People get pain in their pelvic region, into their back, buttock, down the leg. They can uh, press on the bladder to cause increased urinary frequency and wake up at night, just like the man with big prostate. Um, they can cause painful intercourse if they're near the cervix. They can press on the colon, uh, and cause constipation. So those uh, locations will cause the bulk-related symptoms that you see with fibroids. And then the third location is in between those first two. They're located, it's called intramural, in kind of the meat or the muscle of the uterus. And those fibroids can grow in either direction. If they grow towards the center of the uterus, toward the lining, they cause heavy flow. If they grow outwardly, they can press on things like subserosal fibroids, or if they're big enough and grow in both directions, they can do both things. So we see wow. bleeding symptoms, we see bulk symptoms, and, so, and oftentimes most of my patients have both. I understand. You know, now you mentioned um, heavy bleeding, heavy flow. I'm no expert, but you are. I would imagine when I'm, I'm hearing a lot of blood uh, that's abnormal coming from a woman, is that why there's so many women who have fibroids that have been diagnosed with anemia? Yes, it's um, absolutely true. And, and it can be very difficult for a woman to understand how, how much is heavy. Um, you know, the normal menstrual flow should be, roughly several tablespoons. It shouldn't be, you know, a whole lot, but a lot of women menstruate way more than that. And so some of the things that, you know, tip you off that you might be, you know, menstruating too heavy is if you, if you change pads more frequently than every three hours, or if you have to change two at a time, or if you pass clots that are, you know, the size of a quarter, you know, big clots, bigger than a quarter, quarter size, um, you get episodes of blood just either gushing or flooding out of you. You're sitting down, you stand up, wow. blood just gushes out. Um, and so um, these things can go on for a long time, and someone can say, well, I, I've been doing this for a long time, but it's, okay. it's not normal. Um, and so um, if you change frequently or you see these clots or you get these gushing, flooding episodes, that's 
way too normal, no matter what your doctor says as far as your hemoglobin. Because sometimes we'll see patients say, yeah, it seemed abnormal to me. I went to my doctor, they drew my hemoglobin level, and it was normal. Um, Well, eventually it won't be, but um, even with a normal hemoglobin, if you're doing those things, it's too heavy. Um, It shouldn't be like that. And eventually, if you keep doing it long enough, your iron and hemoglobin levels will start to drop because you're putting out way more blood than you can replace. And so you run a deficit in iron and hemoglobin, and hemoglobin is what carries the oxygen around our blood vessels and in our red blood cells. And so then with a depletion of that hemoglobin and iron, now you start to feel weak and tired and fatigued, and um, women may get headaches and feel faint and dizzy and um, they may chew or crave ice. That's a common one. And when I ask patients about that, they think I'm clairvoyant. They're like, wow, how did you know? And, um, but chewing and craving ice is a big sign for significant anemia. And sometimes people will chew things that are not edible. Um, in, in my neck of the woods, it's Georgia white clay. It's crunchy. Um, and so that's called pica, where they will eat you know, things that are not normally edible. Or, or stuff like flour, bags of flour or cornstarch, where you don't really think of, oh. I mean, it's technically edible, but you don't sit around eating oh, bags yes. of flour. Not normal to eat. No. Not admit people, certainly I know of. You are listening to Let's Talk America Radio. The topic is your health, women's health in particular. We're talking about fibroids, and we're on with fame interventional uh, radiologist specialist, Dr. John Lippman. He knows a thing or two about this, and he's going to talk about the options and the solutions. But right now, Dr. Lippman, as you know, we're highlighting the problem. Now, you talked about anemia. You've got to clear this up. This may be an urban myth. I have heard women say they have had fertility issues, and a physician has told them, it might be linked to the fact that they had excessive fibroids. Is that true or is that just a myth? Yes, yeah. Fibroids can really interfere with any part of the fertility pathway from uh, fertilization all the way to delivery. So um, fibroids can wreak all sorts of havoc. They can cause miscarriages. They can block the fallopian tubes. They can cause preterm labor. They can... um, any part of the fertility pathway. Now, that being said, most women, because fibroids are so common, you say 80% of African-American women have these fibroids. So they're very common, and women will commonly um, find out about their fibroids, maybe because they get an ultrasound during a pregnancy, and and the doctor says, oh, you have fibroids, or the technologist who's doing the scan. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to have a problem with their pregnancy. In fact, most women that are pregnant with fibroids have an uneventful pregnancy and, and they do just fine. But, but that being said, depending again on location, fibroids can cause problems with fertility. The, the, the closer the fibroid is to the center of the uterus, that's again where the lining, where the lining is and where the implantation of a fetus occurs, the, if they're closer, the closer they are to that, the more that there could be an issue. It's still you know, most women are going to do just fine, but the ones that are, you know, centrally located, you know, could present an issue. I see. You know, you, you gave us a statistic that um, is alarming. You said um, it's believed in studies and research that nearly 80%, if not more, African-American women have fibroids. This is a tough question, but you may know it. Do we know why? Why African-American? Well, I mean, it, we, there's two reasons, really. Um, one is genetically it runs stronger in African-American families. Um, yes. 
And the other has to do with where nobody knows where fibroids come from, but once they arrive on the scene, they grow with estrogen hormones. And estrogen and hormones are pervasive in the food supply. We can't avoid them completely, but um, estrogen is stored in fat. And in general, if you look at racially body fat distribution, it's the same as fibroid incidence. The number one is African-American for both, and next is Latino, then Caucasian, and then lowest body fat and the lowest incidence of fibroids are Asian women. Um, and so while we can't do anything about the genetic aspect, you can't pick your parents, at least not yet, um, everybody can try to be as close to their ideal body weight as they can, lose that excess body fat. And so okay. with exercise and eating well and making the right choices, you lose uh, that excess body fat, you will definitely improve your fibroid symptoms. I see. Now, you said they can be, I want to say, promoted or fed, if you will, fibroids through estrogen, and some of that you said is genetically linked. But when I hear estrogen, I know a lot of it is tied to HDL, that good cholesterol that cardiologists want us to have more of. But from my understanding, the younger we are, and if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but in childbearing years, women estrogen tends to be higher, correct? It does, and it's one of the reasons why when a woman hits menopause, fibroids are usually not an issue anymore. So, oh, wow. um, you know, they will grow, the fibroids will grow rapidly during a pregnancy. You'll, patients will notice that, yeah, I knew that they had fibroids on my original scan, but now the thing is really getting big. So during pregnancy, they can grow pretty rapidly. And wow. um, once a woman goes into menopause, it's pretty unusual to have any problems with fibroids once okay. she's in menopause. Every now and then we will treat someone that's recently menopausal uh, for urinary frequency from a big fibroid pressing on the bladder. Now, I know you said usually you don't when they go through menopause, but I've got to ask this. So I'm assuming that the fibroids wouldn't grow past menopause, but do they necessarily shrink once you start menopause or complete it, or no, it just sort of stops growth? Yeah, it stops growth, and it does slowly involute and die over time. So, yes, yeah, they will. Yep. I, okay. Now, we've got to get this before we get to our big, big question. Um, you said women, age group, I mean, because I'm imagining such as fibroids, can it start as soon as a young woman starts her cycle, or does it generally show up in the early 20s? I mean, it usually arrives in, the, you usually see it in adulthood. You very rarely see any kind of teenagers with fibroids, but again, that's another um, thing about African-American women. African-American women get fibroids earlier in life and they get them bigger and they're more likely to be symptomatic and that's why they're more likely to undergo surgery for these fibroid tumors and that's what we're trying to avoid with the procedure that we do called UFE, uterine fibroid embolization. You know, Dr. Lippman, you gave us a great story, the journey of fibroids, and there are some very valid reasons why so many women want fibroids out of their body. You're right, they're non-cancerous, but there are a slew of issues that come with them, as you said. So when a woman has said with her physician it's time for them to come out, and again, we have lots of reasons why women would want them out, and some of those may even be serious medical reasons, obviously. You just gave us an option other than a hysterectomy. Tell us about this procedure. Tell us about how long it's been used and the safety? Uh, It's been around a long time. I've been doing UFE for about 25 years now, so it has long track record of safety and efficacy. There are a number of other options that are 
very recent on the scene that have not been proven. But UFE is proven, well-proven, well um, very long track records of safety and efficacy. So that's okay. not the issue. The issue is most women never hear about it because the gynecologists don't perform UFE. They're not trained in it. So a woman will naturally seek out her gynecologist when she's having these issues yes. of heavy bleeding. And the gynecologist, unfortunately, may or may not tell the patient about UFE, even though UFE is probably the, one of the biggest medical breakthroughs for women. Um, wow. Imagine a procedure that you go home the same day with a Band-Aid. It's Amazing. all outpatient. You go home the same day with a Band-Aid. There's a brief recovery of about five or six days. So the woman gets the relief of symptoms. It works in almost everybody. I mean, the success rate in my hands is over 90%. So they get the relief of symptoms. They avoid the risks and long recovery of an operation. And most importantly, and I think underappreciated, a woman gets to keep her uterus. Because even in women that are family complete, it's important to keep your uterus. Your uterus has important functions to you as a woman besides just bearing children. Okay. And what would those reasons be? Because I do think there is a myth out there. Oh, well, oh. I'm done with having kids. We have our two kids. We're good to go. I mean, tell us why. Well, for a number of reasons. One, it's important for you psychologically. There are a number of women that struggle psychologically after hysterectomy, um, just like a man being castrated. It's the epicenter of what makes them a woman. I mean, uh, and there's no way to predict ahead of time who's going to, you know, be like that. Um, second, it's important for women sexually. There's a lot of sexual dysfunction after hysterectomy, and people don't like to talk about it because it's embarrassing. Um, okay. It's important for bone loss. We know oh, wow. with the loss of estrogen, when you undergo hysterectomy, there's a lot of bone loss that goes along with it. And again, with African-American women, there's a lot of low vitamin D having to do with the pigment of their yes. skin and how we absorb yes. vitamin D and, and process it in our bodies. So they, they, they come to the table, if you will, oftentimes with low vitamin D. And now you okay. add, you know, diminished bone loss. You, get, you, you lose wow. a lot of bone and vitamin D. That's kind of like a double whammy. And then lastly, now there's pretty good evidence to suggest that it increases the cardiovascular risk for women, oh. increases high blood pressure, heart attack yeah. risk, stroke. Um, and the earlier you get the hysterectomy, less than age 50, the earlier you get it, the worse the risk is. And as I say, the average age of hysterectomy in this country is 39. So these are on average young women. Young and I've, I've got to tell you, I've seen way too many women less than 30 have already had a hysterectomy for benign fibroids, and it's tragic. I think it's tragic wow. at any age, but it's particularly yeah. tragic to meet young women like this because they didn't know. Their, their gynecologist never told them, and so they, they were suffering, and they suffer miserably, believe me, as we mentioned. But, you know, you're suffering, you're kind of uh, vulnerable, and you're like, I just want to be over this, and Absolutely. I'm not happy Absolutely. with you telling me hysterectomy, but I, I just can't take this anymore, so I, I guess right. you win, and they undergo hysterectomy only to find out that they could have had UFE. And almost every patient, I mean, it's very unusual. If you're a candidate for hysterectomy, you're a candidate for UFE, and you should really get a second opinion and seek this out. Okay. It, as I say, okay. it's one of the biggest breakthroughs to come along for women, particularly women of color. 
Okay. You know, you're listening to Let's Talk America Radio. We are highlighting fibroids, different options out there. Uh, just want to be fair in reporting. Obviously, Dr. Lipman is a famed radiologist. He's talking about um, the options of women who are suffering with fibroids. He talked about hysterectomies, which have been very common throughout the United States and the world for a very long time. Um, but obviously, Dr. Lipman, hysterectomies, as much as we like to throw that word out, um, there are side effects. I have uh, read and have known of some serious complications of women that have had hysterectomy. So it's not like going in and saying, well, I just had a mold removed. It's hysterectomy. Right. And am I right in saying this? Hysterectomies are considered major surgery? Oh, major surgery. And, you know, these uteruses are, you know, they're enlarged like a pregnant woman. So gynecologists okay. will describe a woman that has fibroids in her uterus like a certain size pregnancy. And that say most of my patients are up to their belly button. So that's a 16-week size pregnant woman, four months. And when they get above the belly button, the, a lot of times um, patients will have to be split open vertically to get the uterus out. So, you know, while you hear about laparoscopic and robotic surgery, most of the patients, even here in Atlanta, most hysterectomies are still done open, which means splitting her open from hip to hip horizontally, or if they get above the belly button, vertically. And, and my procedure, the procedure we do here, the UFE, the uterine fibroid embolization procedure, our patients go home with a Band-Aid. There is no incision whatsoever, a Band-Aid, and their uterus. Wow. And, of course, we're going to do fair reporting here on Real Talk for Real People for Let's Talk America Radio. Obviously, there are side effects that can happen for hysterectomies, not saying all women, but some women. But for your procedure, um, what are some side effects? What are some things that sure. could happen if someone has it done? Well, obviously, the side effects for a woman undergoing UFE pale in comparison to somebody being split open surgically, but there are a couple of risks. There are some patients that don't menstruate again permanently after UFE. Um, I've never seen it yet in the 25 years I've been doing this for okay. any woman under the age of 40. But as you okay. get above 40, there is a small risk, 40 to 45, about 1 to 2%, 46 to 50, now we're talking 5 to 10%, and over 50, now we're about 20%. But the women that I tell when I say to most of my patients um, that there's a risk you might not menstruate again, they just burst into laughter because uh, <laughs> I, I saw a patient today that was passing fist-sized clots into a diaper four days a month. Oh, my. She, she was hoping that was going to be her. So while I don't want to sound insensitive because there are, I do see patients, say, in their 20s, um, late 20s, maybe th early 30s that are interested in fertility, not menstruating again would be a different matter to them. But as I say, I've been doing this procedure in nine, roughly 9,000 women in the past 25 years. Okay. I've never seen anybody under 40 that didn't have a menstrual afterwards. So, I see. Um, um, one other risk is that there are some women that will temporarily pass some fibroid material vaginally. It's totally okay. fine, but they have to know that they could do that for a cycle or two. And we've had a small number of patients, 22 to be exact, in the 9,000 or so, where we needed the gynecologist's help to actually do like a delivery of some of that fibroid material out. But it's okay. really rare. Okay, so, but it certainly can happen. I, I have to ask this, when you talk about um, it shrinking the fibroids, and does the procedure get rid of it or it minimalizes it? 
Well, you go in from the, basically you go into each uterine artery separately and you block the blood supply to every fibroid in the uterus. So it treats every fibroid, no matter where they're located, no matter what size they are. Um, It blocks the blood supply to every fibroid in the uterus. And that's why this typically is a one and done. You get the procedure and then you don't need to do it anymore. Um, The fibroids will die and as they die, they soften and shrink. And as the softening and shrinking occur, the woman's symptoms go away. So she'll, I mean, some of the fibroids disappear completely. Some of them shrink dramatically. Okay. It really doesn't matter how much they shrink, although when they, they usually shrink quite a bit, but it's really not why we do it. We do it to eliminate the woman's symptoms. Now, okay. we typically get significant symptom reduction along with significant size reduction. But in general, um, when I see the patients and I see everybody back three months after the procedure, on average, their fibroids have shrunk somewhere between 40 and 50%. Okay. And so the symptom and size reduction may not necessarily be immediate. I imagine it probably wouldn't be. It would be yeah. over a couple of weeks, up to three months. Yeah, it takes some time for the, the woman to see that the, the fibroids are softening and shrinking. But by the time I've seen them at three months, the patient should notice that, yeah, this is significantly better, if not completely gone. So they, they notice it's, it's a significant difference. You know, so when you're talking about this option, which is certainly a viable option for many women, and education is key, that's what we cover here on award-winning Let's Talk America Radio. Now, but I've got to ask this question because I know somewhere out there, someone in Miami is thinking, okay, I hear you, but what if she's 29 years old and she has not completed her family planning? She may have not even met the man of her dreams yet. Is this an option for her or maybe not? It is an option for her to think about and to talk with an experienced okay. interventional radiologist. That's the key is to go to somebody that does a lot of this um, because it's a longer discussion. When somebody comes to you uh, and they're not interested in fertility, so the choices are really uterine fibroid embolization or hysterectomy, it's a no-brainer. I mean, nobody, almost nobody would choose hysterectomy when there's this oh, yes. okay. available procedure. but. When it's versus myomectomy, which is the surgical option, they can't do hysterectomy, obviously, although one of the risks of myomectomy is waking up with a hysterectomy, and that's what this 29-year-old has to understand. We need to know how many fibroids, how big, where they're located to okay. best counsel her, on, you know, and we present both options. Myomectomy is an option, UFE is an option, and depending you know, on a number of factors, she may decide to do one or the other. And you can do one myomectomy, but I would never do more than one because, unfortunately, you can never remove surgically all the fibroids, or almost never. In fact, sometimes they don't even get half of them out. And so what myomectomy does is basically take out the bigger ones that they can safely get out um, and then leave behind a whole bunch of smaller ones. And so the smaller ones will grow up and over three to five years grow up to be bigger ones. So while wow. UFE is typically one and done, I've seen women with five myomectomies, and now they're coming to see me for, you know, the sixth procedure. So in my opinion, there should never, ever be more than one myomectomy. You can do okay. one, but if you start on the path, the next one should be UFE um, if you come back okay. for a second one. I mean, and, and, I, and I'm just saying this being secular, non-medical like you, Dr. Lipman, and, and there, there may be some valid medical reasons that someone is discussing with their physician, but 
myomectomies are major surgery. That's major surgery, correct? Yes, absolutely and, major. And in fact, it's more of a surgery than hysterectomy. Hysterectomy is relatively easy surgery, relatively okay. speaking. Um, you know, it's a clamp across each side of the uterus and take it out. But myomectomy, you've got to cut into the woman, cut into her uterus, and delicately try to get these things out without causing too much bleeding and sew the defect back together so they have an intact uterus. So myomectomy is a much more complicated, it's much more likely to have complications, much more likely to have transfusions because these tumors are very vascular and they bleed. So it's a much more difficult operation. As I say, um, some women go in for myomectomy and they wake up with hysterectomy. Yes, yes. And it's but, not and, a trivial just, number. No, and, and, and I would say this, and this is being someone non-medical like yourself and being a woman, I would think most people, unless it's extremely medically necessary, and, I, and I'm talking cancer or some serious reasons, would have some doubt in hindsight, I mean hindsight is 2020, of uh, being cut on with major surgery multiple times over and over again, not really seeing an end in sight. Right, and what I, I see a lot of disappointed women um, two big disappointments. One, the multiple myomectomy patient. I see a lot of women that have had two and three myomectomies, um, and now they're coming to me, and they're disappointed that no one told them, you know, after the first one that they could get a solution that would knock them all out. And, and you know, obviously it's not working for them, the surgical option. And the other woman that has gone to their gynecologist, and they, told, they were only told about hysterectomy. Um, and they had a hysterectomy, and now there's you know, they could have had UFE and no one ever, you know, broached that subject with them ahead of time so they didn't give them an opportunity uh, to consider UFE. I mean, it's a, any patient that has symptomatic fibroids needs to be informed about UFE, whether they're interested in fertility or not. Um, it's yeah. a longer discussion if they are, but everybody needs to know about this option. I agree, and I, and I would hope in the modern world that we live in, if they're listening to Let's Talk America Radio or other programming or they're going online at least, Dr. Lipman, and just looking at other options. I have so much respect for the medical community, yourself and your countless other colleagues out there. Um, but I think you would agree, and, and I'm sure you are as an advocate for women's health, that women have to know their options at least, right, and, and saying, Absolutely. well, this is the end-all, be-all. The gynecologists are saying this at least gets second, even third opinions. Absolutely. Um, you've got to be your own advocate for your own health. Nothing is more important than your own health. And right. while you would think with the advent of the internet, I mean, I'm not that everything on the internet is gospel. It clearly isn't, but <laughs> it's such an important tool, but you would think these days people would use it more. But I can tell you, I've seen numerous women that have done more due diligence in purchasing a car or a you know, an appliance yeah. than they do on their own health. Uh, and it's really wow. sad. I mean, they, you know, they will, I guess, accept what their doctor says and, um, you know, not seek out other options and get that second opinion, whether maybe they feel they, they don't want to disrupt the um, relationship they have with their gynecologist. You, maybe okay. they think it's questioning them in some way, but um, it's really important to get that second opinion. I'll have patients get a second opinion after seeing me, and it's fine. Okay, I want them sure. to be informed. The more information that they have and the more choices they have, the better it is for them. And they can truly be comfortable. Once they know all their options, risks, and benefits of each of them, 
then they can make the best informed choice that's best for them. And um, if they choose surgery instead of the procedure we do, that's totally fine. It's great. But I can tell you, most women presenting with symptomatic fibroids never hear about UFE, and that's really tragic. And I'm glad that you've had me on to try to help with that because this has been a 25-year struggle, and we're still battling it. Wow. And and I want to touch on something in the elephant in the room that you did bring up um, that – from my conversations with countless community members um, who do care about their health and, and they have educated themselves on different topics, and many of them, Dr. Littman, are officially educated, if you will, in high school and collegiate level and even graduate collegiate level. But when it comes to uh, the relationship of the rapport with physicians or medical providers, if you will, um, I have heard well-intended people say, well, I don't want he or um, her to think I'm questioning them, and, and I'm going to say this, and everybody may be wired different, but I, I hope everyone will eventually get to the confidence that the relationship with any physician, even if it's Shana and Dr. Lippman, is dependent on what's best for Shana medically, right? I mean, I, I would hope it's not it's that and not, well, I don't want to offend he or her because I would think anyone, be it Dr. Lippman, be it Shana as on-air talent or anyone, that if you're questioning me, I'm not going to become defensive because I'm going to welcome that because you're interested in your health. Right, and, and the doctor should be their number one priority is to care for the patient and do what's best in the patient's interest and help them in any way possible, whether it's, something, whether it's a procedure that you can do or maybe it's somebody else can do. Um, you're, you're trying to help that person get well, no matter if it's something you can help them with or somebody else. It really shouldn't matter. Absolutely. What a great conversation. So informative. I know there are many women and men, I'm going to say that, because they have wives, they have spouses, um, they have uh, girlfriends or partners, rather. They have daughters. And we have to know our options. And hopefully these many individuals listening in will go out and empower others. Dr. Littman, I know you're based in the Atlanta area. You've been such a wealth of information for us on this segment of Let's Talk America Radio. Where can people continue this conversation with you or a member of your staff? And uh, perhaps maybe even visit you if this is something that may be an option for them. Absolutely. I mean, we see patients not only throughout Atlanta and Georgia, but outside of Georgia, even other countries. I mean, Atlanta is a pretty easy place to get to. So fortunately, we see patients from all over and we can see them in consult, not only initially, but in follow-up over the internet uh, with telemedicine. So we have a secure uh, telemedicine solution. So they're only coming to our center for the actual treatment. So that's helpful too. And If they want to read up more about uh, fibroids and the UFE procedure, our website is a wealth of information, and that website is atlii.com, atlii.com. If they're more visual and they want to watch videos, we have a YouTube channel, Atlanta Fibroid Center, Atlanta Fibroid Center on YouTube. If they uh, want to look at quick stuff like Instagram, sometimes they want to do that. Um, my okay. Instagram page is dr underscore Lipman, my last name, so dr underscore L-I-P-M-A-N. And if they just want to call the office and talk to somebody, um, that number is 770-953-2600. Wow, what great information. Keep advocating, giving options. If this is not an option for a lady, maybe there are other options, but the more she knows, I think definitely the better off she's going to be. Right, Dr. Lippman? No question about it. Information is power. 
It certainly is. And that's what we offer here on Rule Talk uh, Radio at Let's Talk America. Stay with us. Uh, visit us to find out more at LTARadio.com. Keep the conversation going. Stay tuned in for our next episode appearing soon. You're listening to Let's Talk America Radio. Glamour Girl Fitness wants you to stop making excuses for fitness and get fit Glamour Girl style. Now supersede the word fitness with fun and incorporate the whole family. That's what Glamour Girl Fitness does with the Mommy and Me program. We take a time out for fitness. Find out more now by visiting www.glamourgirlfitness.org. Again, that's www.glamourgirlfitness.org. Start the conversation today because you matter. Thank you.